I think we're a learning species. I think that's really important, you know, because it's so connected to survival. Even if it's not learning how to survive, something about learning new things and keep evolving. I think that's a highly fulfilling, productive thing. I mean, when you start to learn something new, I always like new things. Be- well, I and I and I and I'm like everyone where you just want to go back to the things you you have mastered because you don't want to expose your you know your vulnerability and your weakness. But learning, I think, is a big piece of it. I think that you know the simple things are are dealing with, you know, thermoregulation and oxygen, you know, controlled drowning and overheating and, you know, eating well, sleeping. I mean, there's some real, you know, you don't sleep. There's nothing to talk about. What does it take to do the impossible? What does it take to level up your game like never before? What does it take for individuals, organizations, for even institutions to achieve paradigm shifting? Nothing is ever the same again, breakthroughs. Our mission is to decode the neurobiology of flow and cognitive peak performance. Access the minds of maverick scientists, groundbreaking innovators, and world-leading experts to understand what it takes to achieve ultimate human performance. So you can feel your best, perform your best, and accomplish your boldest goals. I'm your host, Rian Doris, and together with best-selling author Stephen Kotler, I present to you Flow Research Collective Radio. Hey there, Rian Doris here with Flow Research Collective Radio and welcome to today's episode with Laird Hamilton. So Laird is best known as an American big wave surfer and pioneer in the world of action water sports. Now, in addition to his affinity for the water, Laird is labeled as an inventor, an author, a stuntman, a model, producer, a TV host, fitness and nutrition expert, husband, father, an adrenaline junkie or flow junkie, I should say. At six foot three and 215 pounds, Laird is unique in the way that he balances flexibility and strength. He's a renowned innovator and guiding genius of crossover board sports, everything from toe-in surfing to stand-up paddleboarding and hydrofoil boarding. Laird is the essential waterman. He continuously pushes the limits and expands possibilities. And over the last decade, Laird has transcended from surfing, becoming an international fitness icon and nutrition expert. Many of today's top professional athletes and celebrities actually look to Laird for training guidance, including instruction in his unique underwater resistance workouts. He partners with his wife, who's also been on Flow Research Collective Radio, Gabrielle Reese, And they have created XPT, Extreme Performance Training, together. XPT is a unique and powerful fitness training and lifestyle program that features their unique water workouts, performance breathing, recovery methods, high intensity and endurance training for people of all fitness levels and backgrounds. And in addition to the hands-on fitness teachings Laird offers, he released his first book back in 2008 called Force of Nature, Mind, Body, Soul, and of course, Surfing. Love that title. And it's become the go-to manual for those seeking inspiration for leading a healthy lifestyle. The book hit the New York Times bestseller list within two weeks of publication. And Laird's also a contributing editor for Men's Journal, where he writes about his own fitness, health, and nutrition philosophies. And if that's not enough, Laird has also hit the entertainment industry hard. And he has been involved in a number of feature films and surfing documentaries, including 
films like Radical Attitude, Wake Up Call, Step Into Liquid, and Riding Giants. He also performed as a stuntman and surfer in The Descendants, Waterworld, Die Another Day, and Point Break. And in addition to his film work, Laird has appeared on numerous TV shows like Oprah's Masterclass, Charlie Rose, 60 Minutes, Chelsea Handler, Conan O'Brien, Stephen Colbert, and The Ellen DeGeneres Show. Now, along with all of that, Laird is also a philanthropist. He's always had a passion for helping others live a happy, healthy life, and he exhibits this passion through the work he does with other nonprofit organizations, such as the Surfrider Foundation. As for his personal life, Laird and his wife, Gabrielle, and their daughters split time living in residences across Hawaii and Malibu, California, chasing waves, staying in top shape, and continuing everyday adventures. So Laird is just really the embodiment of flow. He is the ultimate high-flow lifestyle liver. And in today's episode, Stephen and myself got to go deep with Laird on a number of exciting topics, from how he manages to succeed at all those endeavors to what his surfing career has been like and where he finds the most flow. So you're in for a treat with an absolute legend today. Enjoy. Laird Hamilton, welcome to Flow Research Collective Radio. It is absolutely great to have you here. One of the things I was doing to prepare was going back and, and reading your book, Force of Nature, Mind, Body, Soul, and of course, Surfing, which I love as a title. And a quote that stood out to me was, I think the key to happiness is maximizing each day. So if you're unhappy, here's a simple prescription, live harder. So I want to start off with what do you mean by live harder? It sounds very much so like something Stephen would say. So <laughs> I was amused by it. Well, you know, I, I think for me personally, uh, it's a little simpler because for me, that just means do more in a day. When I say live harder, I mean like push yourself, do more, make the day feel like it was productive, that when you're finished with it, you know, like I've already had enough of, I've done enough today to feel good for the day. Like I'm, I've got today covered. Like I'm going to be hungry. I'm going to be tired. I'm going to be amendable. I'm going to be able to sit down and relax, you know, and that's, and it's not noon yet. And so I've already kind of done that today. Now there'll be other days when I just can't get anything done and I got six things lined up and none of them really get completed. And, you know, and whether they're physical or mental, like you're learning something, but I just think that, you know, when I say that, I mean, like, you know, there's a saying, uh, to live today sufficiently is problem in itself why you worry about tomorrow. And so in mm. a way it's, it kind of goes along those lines, like being productive, like to live today sufficiently means like get out there and do stuff, you know, get some stuff done. You know, that has a lot of faces, obviously it's for some guys, it could be as simple. I mean, I'm fortunate because the physical side of things are such a, and I think, I think we all are a little bit that way. I think that, you know, that's our biology. So I think that, that that's where sometimes we have some difficulty in life is that we become kind of these mental beings, but we're still biologically physical beings. And then we're like, we're not able to, to do that. But for me, I'm, you know, like break rocks, break a bunch of them. You feel good. You know, you're, you're productive and, you know, whether it's learning something or just banging out a punch list or writing another page in your book, like Stephen, or, you know, like just being productive and feeling like you've, you know, you know, and spending time with friends and, and, you know, having quality 
diet. And I mean, these are things that if you look at all the things you can do in a day and really well, that leads into that. I think it leads into your feeling of, you know, feeling accomplished. Have you always had that sort of live harder mentality or does that emerge at a certain point or has it been, does it fill a nice? I think I've had a version of it. I think when I was younger, I was a little more destructive. I think it's Mm. kind of evolved out of that mentality, but you know, I've always been bigger, higher, faster. That meant that kind of philosophy. It just, it has a tendency to take on different faces as you mature you hope, you, you know, and it's slow, it's a slow process, but you hope you, you start to know where to push and where to, you know, where to let off, you know, I like, can, but yeah, I, I've always had kind of that mentality. I mean, you know, lately we've been talking a lot about our biology and about, you know, a lot about just, I mean, these are, you know, you talk about being comfortable and, and not being threatened and all these things that we're able to, these states we're able to be in, these aren't good states for us. These are not productive states. These are these are very unproductive states. And a lot of the issues that we have, I believe, are a result of this natural desire to always look for the path of least resistance. I'm just curious about something because I, I completely agree with what Laird's saying. I just want to ask him something that I sort of always wonder about. I think this is one of the great sort of gifts of action sports. Maybe this is the same thing with a career in the military or combat sports or contact sports even. But whatever else is going on in life, if you go out and you do something where the consequences of error could be fatal, you know, if you make a grave enough error, you could, you could possibly die doing it. Or once you get into that neighborhood and you come back to the rest of life, none of your problems weigh a lot, right? Like they weigh a whole lot less if you've actually just confronted that something that is actual mortal danger, because your body does, I would guess, biologically recognize the level of consequences you're actually up against, right? I like the term NAR in action sports because it's, it, me, it literally means high in perceived risk, high in actual risk, right? If a skier says, oh yeah, that, that is gnarly, what he's saying is, hey, be prepared. When you pull onto that run, it's going to look way steeper than you're prepared for now. Just get ready for that, the experience of fear and the fact that you're going to have to confront some mortal terror to negotiate it on top of the stuff you need your skills for. And I think that resets the brain and the body in a way. And you don't want to have to, like, you know, what works for the common man versus what works for action adventure sport athletes, like, is a weird question or a weird way to phrase that. But I, I often think about that. I mean, I, I just said the world would be a better place. Everybody scared themselves once a day. I mean, that's one of my things I live by that, you know, if you just scared yourself for real, like you really were scared that it would probably be a better place because like what you said, which is that things are reprioritized. All of a sudden, all these things that you thought were so important that you're upset about, you're really not upset about those. Those are pretty minor details. It's all cool because none, you know, uh, I, Mr. Wildman, who since passed was a great friend of mine and he was in the Korean war and he would always say, you know, he talked about in business. He said, he'd always tell his guys like, Hey, this is not life or death. There's life and death. And then this isn't life or death. And so when things are life and death, it's very clear, right? It makes things very clear and it puts you, they talk about living in the moment. There's no more living in the moment than when you're in a situation where the wrong decision could mean death. 
right? There's nothing. And so whether you're getting that on, you know, climbing a rock face or you're getting that to somebody shooting at you, whether you're getting that because they're going 250 miles an hour in a car, whether you're getting out you're falling out of the sky, where you're getting, I mean, whether you're around animals that can eat you. I mean, this is a state of being that we've been in for hundreds of thousands of years. This is not like a new thing. Like we were always under threat and we were so weak and so vulnerable that the threats were many, like just go down the list. Every time they, you came around the corner in a day, you were threatened. You're probably threatened. You were probably risking death on a, you know, multiple times each day, every day. So, you know, and if it wasn't freezing to death and you couldn't thing and you couldn't eat and you were starving, I mean, all of these situations are putting you in this heightened state of awareness and, a, you know, in a heightened state of living at the end of the day, like you're alive, like, you know, nothing like making you feel alive, like come back, like, Hey, that was a good day. I felt alive. Well, yeah. I mean, it's also, it's like, there's that, it's like a fake feeling of accomplishment, right? Yeah. I didn't die. Yeah, yeah. Like the greatest achievement in the world. Right. Yeah. Like, but, but, but actually it's a great accomplishment because that's the whole objective. So right. in a way it's like this heightened thing that you didn't do anything except you just avoided death. And, and, and to do that, you just didn't make the wrong decision or, Maybe you made the right decision, but then you were able to avoid that. And so that's nothing more. I don't think there's nothing, anything more fulfilling than that. Right. I don't think there's anything more fulfilling than not dying. <laughs> Cause if you <laughs> die, then there's nothing else. Then there's nothing else to talk about. There's nothing your, else. Your, your t-shirt Larry says uh, exhilarated, which I yeah. find hilarious on this topic. Cause exhilaration definitely uh, sums it up. You mentioned productive states, which I think is a nice way to put it. So what are some of the things that you are leaning on most at the moment to elicit productive states in yourself? And what are some of the things you recommend people do? Well, I think learning, I think we're a learning species. I think that's really important, you know, because it's so connected to survival. Even if it's not learning how to survive, something about learning new things and keep evolving, I think that's a highly fulfilling, productive thing. I mean, when you start to learn something new, I always like new things because, well, I, and I, and I, and I'm like everyone where you just want to go back to the things you've, you have mastered because you don't want to expose your, you know, your vulnerability and your weakness, but learning, I think is a big piece of it. I think that, you know, the simple things are, are dealing with, you know, thermoregulation and oxygen, you know, controlled drowning and overheating and, you know, eating well, sleeping. I mean, there's some real, you know, you don't sleep. There's nothing to talk about. Like my daughter came out to me yesterday and she's like, or the other day and she went out and was out a little bit later, but she's been training and, you know, she just was at, hadn't seen a friend that was out of town and it's like, didn't sleep. And she's like, man, sleeping. It's like, you know, that's like a really important thing. I'm like, right after being awake, I go right after being awake, the most important thing is sleeping because if you don't sleep, being awake, it sucks, right? Like, <laughs> so, you know, and without sleep, pretty much you're, you won't be awake, but being awake and sleeping, those, some of those simpler things. I mean, I think I'm fortunate to have a pretty good relationship with the mechanism of flow state in my mind. Like I can do simpler things maybe. And Stephen can maybe tell me, you know, maybe that's not true or that, yeah, there, that that's true. But I think that when you've been in these certain states of, it's like somebody who meditates can go into a deep meditation easier than somebody who doesn't. So it's like, if you're, if you're somebody who knows how to get into like a somewhat of a trance and get into yourself into this kind of state of mind, you can probably do it easier. There's probably easier. You'll probably get it out of situations that other people might not get it as easily. I, from. I think there's a learning curve with that 
you're probably not going to remember this conversation because it was 25 years ago. Because I asked you a question about when they wrote about you in North Shore Chronicles, which was, I think, the first book that I saw coming out about like the Hawaiian big wave surf culture. One of the things that stood out to me is you were one of the younger people in that book, but you were also, you were paddling alone to outer islands by yourself to surf really big waves. And that caught my attention because I was like, well, wait a minute. Like that's like of all the crazy stuff in this book, this is the craziest thing in this book that this guy is paddling three hours by himself to surf killer waves alone and then paddling back. And we were talking about that particular thing. And you said at the time, you thought of that period of your life as intense focus and flow training. Like you learned by being yourself in such intense environments for such long periods, that was where you mastered. And I agree with you. I think everybody who gets really good at flow, I think they go through a period often alone of sort of mastering how do you focus like this? Because when it's so much harder when you're alone and you're scared, right? So if you can do it in those situations, for me, that took like a lot of writing alone, a lot of like bad writing sessions alone. And as a skier, it took almost like seven or eight years of skiing, like 30, 40 days each winter alone and really pushing hard and hard and hard. And suddenly I was, I saw, I was like, ah, this is what we were talking about. This is that flow training where suddenly it really becomes fast. And like, I can almost tell you from the moment I get on a ski hill, after I feel how my body feels after the first run, I can tell you at what point during the day I'm going to find flow and how, or if I'm, I'm going to sort of get locked out, I think. And, but I think it's that period of intense isolation of trying the brain into flow under very difficult circumstances. Which, I mean, maybe I'm wrong. Maybe there are other things that you think of more than those outer islands paddle trips, but that always sort of stuck with me. I think when you're alone, obviously, I mean, you're alone. <laughs> and so it, it, I think there's something about being alone that, that is so, uh, it, it's interesting because I'm a social creature. Like naturally I like to be around people and, you know, and my, I have one of my daughters who's, you know, both daughters like to be around people, but I have one that really likes to be alone and my openly talks about being alone and really, and, and I I'll never consider myself as a person who likes to be alone. But I think there is something about when you're by yourself that is the most honest way to approach kind of existence, because really, even when you're with people, you're still by yourself in your mind. So, so there's still an aspect where nobody's in there with you, you can be with people, but you're still alone. You come in alone, you're leaving alone. Like there's something more honest about, about that state of mind. And so when you get to a level where you can actually kind of not be distracted by yourself, you know, like, I mean, I think there's something to be said, like, cause we have a whole, you know, the, you have that other voice in you that's always talking. And I think that, that, that voice, that inner voice is one of the things that kind of keeps you from that, flow state right maybe that keeps you away from it in a way when you're having a conversation with yourself that obviously you're not in flow because flow is detachment from that so i think there's something to be said that when you are able to get to that state alone it's the purest form of it of that thing because you're allowing yourself and then maybe you can build you know you build from there i think being when you're by your when you're by yourself that's where the greatest level of fear lies in a way, right? Is being alone in the unknown. That's the apex of fear. And, and I think the relationship between fear and flow, which if I'm not mistaken, they're 
very closely entangled that because you can get into this greater fear alone, then you get into a greater flow alone, right? So then, so like I said, there's something about that, right? There's something about, you know, being alone in the middle of the ocean, you know, where there's creatures and you're not, you're far from everywhere and there's no one there to get you. And like that, that whole kind of isolation, that isolation. I mean, maybe it's why the monks go in the little, you know, the little buildings alone in the top of the mountain. <laughs> you know, it's like, so there's something about that. There's some, there's, there is a correlation, I believe, between those two. And yes, after you, you know, like, like what Stephen said, that once you kind of have, ha- once you have an intimate relationship with, with that part of your brain and that system, you definitely can pull it out quicker and use it and, and have it available because your body starts to like it. I think, I think your body's like, Hey, I like this flow state. This is really good for me. Let me get you into that as soon as we can. And we'll do it with the minimal amount of effort because it's beneficial. So I think, you know, I, I, but I think that's something that you learn, right? I think you have to learn. Uh, Yeah. This is, it's funny because I have to think about this a lot with action sport athletes because action sport athletes just get often more access to deeper flow states. It's not that I think they get more flow states, but I think they get access to deeper flow states more regularly. But there's a whole bunch of stuff you learn when you spend a ton of time in flow, right? It's not like, it's not about how do you get into the state anymore? It's, oh, how do you extend it if I need to extend it? Or how do I maximize it for learning, right? Like there's a certain way... I learn, I try to learn things differently when I'm in flow because I know certain things are possible and I, I don't want to waste it. But I also have a really good idea of a lot of broken bones on the way to learning this. But like now I sort of know where some of the boundaries are. I'm like, oh, I'm like, I'm, a, I'm super bad up to this level. And after this, I'm really portal. Like, yeah, yeah. In some ways, that probably has to do with the fact that, that at the end, of all of it, no matter what state we're in, survival is always a priority, no matter what, where we're, what we're in, because no surviving, no, no living, no fun. Like you'd you'd like, so survival again, goes back to the same thing that puts us into this state is also the same thing that's going to govern us where we're going to, where, how far we can be, you know, when we can, Mm. how far we can push. It's just going to always protect us. We're always going to be within our, capacity because the organism wants to stay alive and, and also it doesn't want to get hurt either like you'd like to avoid getting hurt because that means you can't go do it again so there's something into that too there's something in within it like it's going to know the cap it's going to say hey you know what you're here you're cool you can go full once you once you start treading past that you know and you can lift that ceiling i think that that's part of the the relationship I think within it, with it, with being in that and starting to try to lift that ceiling up and, and when do I hit my cap? And I mean, obviously you can probably get, people probably can be in flow state and not have the most supreme levels of experience in certain things and their flow state, they'll get in it, but they're not going to be, they're not going to, it doesn't mean that they're going to be able to perform at this this other level. I think that it's all that we have barriers depending on our skills and our experiences that we can go. We're still going to be in flow state. So it's all going to be good. And we're still going to be, you know, kind of in the, just in the now, but it's going to be different. My in the now is going to be different than, you know, Joe's in the now and different than Sam's in the now. These aren't going to be similar as different as we are as people 
uh, as different as we are in the activities that we're doing, as different as we are with experiences with each of the activities that we're doing. You know, it's like Travis Pristana's flow state is going to be different than, you know, some other guy that's just coming into it. But he's good. The other guy's going to be in flow state. Like he's still going to be in flow state. He's just not going to be in flow state at the level that and Travis might not even be able to get into flow state until he's doing something far beyond what this other guy's doing and getting into flow state. I think that's another there's probably a certain level of that that I think you probably get a certain tolerance to it, like anything that you do like any anything that you do over time you probably get a certain tolerance like you can get into it easier but then also it might take a lot more for you to get into it so like it's like a double-edged sword and i'm not you know it's well you got to be perceived risk is a flow trigger right and it's always perceived risk right it's not i mean there's some measure of real risk out there but like it's how scary do you think it is and that's you know we we go surfing i'm scared it five, six foot waves, right? That's the line where I'm like, oh, okay, now it means business. In six foot waves, you're probably not even like awake, right? Like it's not even a cup of coffee for you. So, you know. And then, well, that's why I always talk about the the envy that I have when somebody's new into things, that there's an envy that you have. I see the guy, he's on a two foot wave and he's just, you can see by his face that this is the thrill of his life. And you're like, I envy that. Yeah. Like I envy that being able to get into that state that simply I might still be able to do it on a two foot wave, but I might have to do it backwards with my eyes closed um, on a razor blade, you know, like somewhere <laughs> again, I might have to, I just have to set the situation up so that I have perceived risk. So right. I'm going to have to build in some fat, some things to create a perceived risk. If the risk doesn't exist for me at the state that I'm in. Do you think moving into crossover board sports, like, you know, you've done everything from towing, surfing to, to, to stand up paddleboarding and hydrofoiling was moving into those part of an attempt to increase the ceiling and increase perceived risk. Do you think? I think that I start to, I've, I've enjoyed that. I like the steep part of the curve, right? So I'm looking at where do I get the biggest bang for my buck? And that's always when you're learning because right. when you go from being terrible are not being able to do something to being able to do something to, to somewhat being more than proficient at it. That's a big steep curve. Now, when you get into mastery, you're talking about plateauing and little increments, you know, very small increments of improvement with thousands of hours. And that stuff is just, there's nowhere to go. Right. So when we reinvent ourselves, when we go back out and we do something new that, and then, then we have a whole new, curve there's a brand new curve and you can take existing skill you know you can take stuff that you you know it's like another way to go down the mountain if you you know how to you know what the mountain is you know what the fall line is you know what the rocks are you know what the trees are you know what the snow is and you take a new thing then all of a sudden you get to benefit from the existing knowledge that you have but then you still get to be a beginner again so then you're going to get all that heightened effects that you get whenever you're learning you know so now i'm not now I can go out on a hydrofoil in a three foot wave and be going crazy fast on a unicycle sensation. And that's got everything on. I'm, I'm, I'm turned on, but it's two feet. So you're like, well, where, you know, where's the threat, but the threat perceived threat again, like Steven said, it's, you know, speed. I mean, anytime you think you can get hurt, you got, you're flying on something that's super sharp thing hits you, you get cut open. Anytime there's a perceived threat, whether that's, you know, real or not, it's all about your 
perception. So, you know, every time you do something new, your perception of getting heard is probably a lot greater because you can get heard at every aspect of it in the beginning. Later on, it's harder and harder. First of all, just because you've done it and you know you haven't been hurt in all those other situations where when it's new, you don't have that. You're still going, what if I do this? What if I fall there? And what, mm-hmm. where, where when you've been doing something a long time, you, you have a tendency to be like, well, yeah, I'm not going to get hurt there. And I never got hurt when I did that. I never got one this. And I haven't gotten hurt all these times that I've done it. But now that's not happening. Now I'm like, okay, well, there's about 80 new ways to get hurt. And so that's going to turn that switch on again. There's a video layered of you that I recommend people to look up. It's one of the, one of the most incredible surfing videos I've ever seen and, and one of the best examples of, of flow I think I've ever seen, which is you hydrofoiling in Nazare. I'm sure you remember that. Well, I'm curious if you could describe to folks what that felt like and whether there is a particular board sport or experience or even wave that is the, distinctly the highest flow for you. Yeah, well, I mean, I mean, the, the thing about, well, first of all, the thing about hydrofoiling itself is that the whole reason we started hydrofoiling, just to, to a little bit of backstory, was to tr- try to be able to ride bigger waves, right? That we were, right. there was a limitation with the equipment that we had. And so we we're trying to figure out how to actually go out in these bigger conditions and, and actually, you know, be able to survive and and perform and actually make it right make it so that's the kind of the backstory of hydrofoiling and uh, the truth is is that it's kind of like the best analogy i can give you is is that if you spent your whole you spent your life as a downhill mountain bike rider and then you decided that you were going to be a unicycle downhill <laughs> that's the transition i've seen a guy try to do that by exactly now. No, I've exactly. seen somebody try to do it. Yeah. it, it it's really ugly. It's like, yeah, no, it's ugly. You follow him down the DH course, yeah. and you're like, oh my God, really? He's yeah. up, he's up. No, he's down. Now he's down. <laughs> you know, and the fact is, is that maybe in 20 years, you're going to see somebody on a unicycle go down and do something that you're going to be like, what even is that? Like, how can that? So that's where it comes from. So that, so the foils themselves you know, our, our make, we go so much faster. We are able to go across rough terrain. It's all was based on riding giant waves. And so the state, you know, the truth is, is that like right now I pretty much don't do any kind of board riding in the ocean without a foil, whether, whether it's wind powered, motor powered, wave powered, self-propelled, whatever it is, it's everything I'm doing is on a foil. And part, and, and, and the reason is because of the amount of focus that it demands it, that, that it's like at every aspect of it. I mean, I can go to, you know, I can go ride a small wave and be completely in the zone. Like I'm, I'm completely focused in conditions that I'd have to stand on my head backwards with my eyes closed. And that probably still wouldn't work. Like at a certain mm. point, I wouldn't, I wouldn't be able to get that out of that situation, no matter what I did unless it was something really, really stupid, which that gets to a whole nother part of the discussion, you know, which, you know, perceived danger and then stupid. Yeah, well, otherwise known as slab yeah. riding in yeah. the surfing yeah. community. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and then, and then it's like, and then is that sustainable? And can we continue to do that? And at a certain point, you kind of undermine the whole thing is if you completely annihilate yourself, then you can't do any of it. And then it's like, well, wow, that wasn't that productive. So we're trying to continue on with the process, but foiling in general, you know, I mean, Nazare with the, with the speed and the size, I mean, you know, we went there to, to try to just implement 
our foils. You know, I think I've had the fortune throughout my career in, in the ocean to have monumental moments at different points and to look back and say, hey, this one was greater than that one. Now, I don't think I, I don't think that, that anyone it was the greatest at that time. There's a great saying that I really love, never let your memories be bigger than your dreams. And so I think that, that for me, I'm not going to look back and go like, yeah, well, that, 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 and that was the moment. And then after that, everything was downhill and I've never had an experience quite like that, which is not true, actually. Um, but part of it is, I think, because I consciously try to make an effort to continue to find that, to continue, continue for look for those moments. And, and, and I've been fortunate or I should say I've been successful enough to find those moments multiple times to know that it's possible and that the one I had won't, isn't going to be, you know, and I could say Chopu at the moment, you know, was, was the mo one of the most, I could say giant Piahi at the moment was one of the thing I can tell you about a windsurf thing when I broke the European speed record on a sailboard that, that, you know, this is one run that I did and what happened and how I felt and what it was. I mean, I can tell you about, you know, maybe a heli trip in Alaska and what, you know, just so there's been multiple things along the along the way that, you know, continue to 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 create those those moments. And and so and then for me personally, that's my objective. Like it's all cool. Like I don't care what who says what and you who this and you got that and what award and what trophy and what thing. Great. Knock yourself out. For me personally, and I don't even need, need anybody to, I mean, it's part of bit, part of working, but I don't need anybody to know. I mean, it's, it's nice when one of your friends is there so you can share that stuff, but it's just about, it's personal. Like at a certain point, you know, and, and, and you, and there's some guys out there that Jeremy Jones, like these kind of guys, like that it's just personal. Like at the end of the day, you know, you're just looking for that. You need it. You know, you need it for yourself. It's nice for your family too. When you get that, cause you're just better for everybody including yourself, <laughs> you know? And so, no, my wife gets really thing. nervous when it's not ski season. Yeah. She, she doesn't exactly. like the summer a whole lot. Exactly. Exactly. But then, but then you got to, then we have to try to figure out, you know, what we can do in the summer and what, you know, easy ways to, to soften the, or not say soften the thing, but it, to wear the system out, to make it so that, you know, again, your sleep's good. Food's good. I remember years ago and, it was one of the best, some of the better advice somebody ever given me on physicality. I'd broken a lot of bones and you were, you were the one who said, dude, you've got endurance training, you've got strength training, get your yoga, get your stretching in there, you'll stop break. And you were totally correct. And, you know, I still have that like, okay, I've got to have my endurance training. I got to have my balance and agility training. I got to, what have you added in as you've started to age? What has changed about how you train physically as you've gotten older in response either to new things you believe about training or in response to age either? I think it's just a refinement of all those. I think it's a refinement. And then, and then part of it is, you know, some of the stuff that you're doing is you're playing catch up, right? You're, you know, you're doing, I'm, I mean, I'm doing things that are making me stiff. So I got to loosen stuff up. So a lot of it's, you're just trying to recover from some of the stuff that's, that's ailing you and it was ailing you when you were young. So it's ailing you when you're old or yeah. it's like, so in a way, you know, I, I think I've become a little, uh, the consistency and less undermining with, uh, just, you know, less compromising my sleep, less compromising my diet, uh, less compromising my, you know, just my life in general. So I, I feel like less, less compromising and more consistency. I think that's a big piece of, 
hopefully maturity, like part of maturing, you know, I mean, it's because it's interesting that as you get a little bit older and you start to kind of understand certain things better through, through experience, you hope that you do, you know, you see some young guns and they're burning on both ends. And then they're like, then it comes time for the, their performance and their per- performance is compromised because, hey, maybe they worked out the day before they were going to go do something radical. And so they're tired and then they pay and then they get hurt. And you're like, done that more than once. <laughs> you, know, <laughs> like, you know, you see something else and you're like, nah, done that more than once. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, hopefully don't do that again. And, and then even sometimes you catch yourself doing certain things that undermine maybe your performance or undermine your recovery or undermine your, you know, nutrition or whatever it is. And, you know, okay, hey, make sure you're getting worked on and get people that know how to work on you and know what you need to get worked on. Make sure you're hydrated. Okay, yeah, make sure you're getting your sleep. I mean, there's so many pieces. And sometimes the people talk about, you know, oh, this balance, like, don't worry about the balance. It's all about the focus, you know, never mind the balance. And I'm like, it's about the balance too. Like at the end of the day, I think you want to live in a way that in when you're in your zone, you're not thinking about, you know what? maybe Gabby and I are on best of terms right now, or I said something that I didn't mean. And I want to think, or, you know, you don't want to be in the middle of a big death defying run and then have some stuff back in your head chirping like, Hey, you know what? Now that you might die, maybe you should have been a little cooler over here, or you should have done this over there. You should have done that over here. I'm like, yeah, let's try to avoid that stuff. So I think that there's no one answer to it. I think, and then just trying to learn, like learn more about, Audi, learn more about yourself. Like, learn more about what works for you. Because what works for you, like the diet that you need and what you operate on, isn't the same as me or the other guy. I mean, there might be similar things. We know we all need to be hydrated. We all know that we need to eat well. We know we need minerals. You know, we need good company. You need to be associating with good people. You need to be reading good information and learning. Like, so there's certain things that we all are, you know, we're governed by gravity. Pretty much everybody so far, when you throw them out of a plane, they fall to the ground unless they have wings, uh, which usually means it's, you know, somebody made them for them. But <laughs> so I think there's something about that. You know, I think there's something about, you know, and, and then also, too, there's another thing, too, like, hey, what do you prove? What do you got to prove? Like, what do you got to prove? Like, uh, like, are you trying to prove something? Like, is it to prove something? Like, what, what, what are the whys? You know, what are the reasons why you're, we, we do what we do? I think that's really important. I always even I talk to the, the young, you know, I got like I said, I got a young, young man, Luca, a big wave rider. And, you know, it's like, hey, why you want to do this? OK, you want to do that? OK, why you want to go over there? OK, you want why? Like you what's your what's your because your why it will determine how you how you respond in the moment of truth. And that's usually during failure. So <laughs> I always say that, you know, the why really dictates how you respond in failure, you know, and, and I use the ocean because it's the thing that for me, that's been the greatest teacher. And, and it's the, the, the place where I've always had to really understand my why. But, you know, you're at some place like Nazare or just you're in, a, in the middle of the ocean, on the middle of the ocean, something happens. And, you know, you better have a good reason for being there. Like, it's just something that's in your heart and you're drawn to it. You're like, cool perfect reason but if you got any other ulterior motives i mean you're gonna you're just gonna be you're not gonna be good in battle you're gonna be a bad soldier uh because you're gonna run 
or you're going to not do what you need to do in that moment if you have any doubts why you're there if you're there for the love for your heart for your friends for your just whatever something valid then i think that's that's really important Larry, outside of being a waterman you've done i mean you know you're an inventor author stuntman model producer tv host fitness expert husband father etc cetera, etc cetera. You're, you're a polymath really i know steven and myself are, are, are big fans of david epstein's work on on range and the idea of being a generalist. So I'm curious what's enabled you to succeed outside of the water to such an extent as well across such a broad array of disciplines. Probably fear. (laughs) (laughs) Probably fear. Probably being scared to not, you know, do the right thing or not. I mean, you know, the, the truth is, is a lot of what I've done has just been out of out of necessity to be able to do partly what I love, you know, I mean, and, and keep myself from pain, like keep myself from being hurt. Like whether emotionally, like my whole relation, you know, my relationship with my family, the importance of that. I just wanted to do the things that I, I don't want regrets. So I want to try to avoid having any regrets. And so again, fear, you know, scared to have regrets, or maybe I don't want any regrets. Maybe I've experienced what it's like when you do regret or when things aren't, you know, when you're not. Uh, and then part of it is, you know, trying to just subsidize my fun, you know, like subsidize my <laughs> thing that I love. You know what I mean? Like part of it's just do what you got to do to survive, like whatever. And you know what? The, the truth is you better be, you better do a lot of things because there's a lot to do and you're not going to only be able to just get away with any one thing you're going to have to have some hats we always say what hat today like you know hey what hat are you wearing i got my excavator hat i got my electrician i got my plumber i got my you know like what hat are you putting on and you better be i mean you know that's one of the things that makes humans great right and one of the things that makes us that make makes a human being amazing is that we can do all these different things i mean that's where we really excel and, and somewhere in there, somewhere in that kind of in these all these other genres and trying to do all these things, it ends up making you better at the thing that you really are concerned about being great at. Right. No matter what that is. And maybe that's maybe that's something that, you know, you have to ask yourself, why do I need to be great at something? But but somewhere in there, it, it you know, I would say that my willingness to go and learn and be terrible and you know have people laugh at me and 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 have criticism directed my way the, all that all that stuff has allowed me to be to be involved in these innovations allowed me to to kind of discover cool things because i've been willing to i've been okay with sucking and having people criticize me and being like i'm like cool no problem like great but i see something that i think is going to be great and you know and then all of a sudden these people that are criticizing you are doing the thing that they're criticizing you about and you just get to chuckle yourself you just like oh that's pretty mm. funny but you know I, you know I, I think that there's so many spokes in the wheel you know i think there's a, i think that he's talking about the spokes you know and i think that there's something about the wheel and the spokes where you got to go adjust them you know when one spokes out the wheel just has a little thunk in it little thunk mm. in it. And I guess my, you know, my objective from being, okay, hey, surf and ride giant waves and all these things. But I think at the big, in the big game, right, there's a big game, right? This is, these are things that I've done 
right? But in the big game, the big game of life, it's about being a man, right? So it's about being a man. And what does that look like? Like, what is being a man, in my opinion, it, what does that look like? And that, that probably means a lot of things. That means husband, father, lover, friend, you know, defender of what's right or, you know, help people in danger. Just, just go through the list of, of what being a man means to you and then look at that list and go, okay, well, start working on it. Because <laughs> there's no end. There's no end. You know, there's no end. There's no end to the list and there's no end to things that you can do to, to, to help help that list. But that's my, you know, that's my, that's my own thing. I mean, I, I've, you know, I've looked, I've had guys I looked up to and some guys weren't as good a surfer, but they were incredible family men. They were hard worker, disciplined, da, 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 had all these traits that I admired. And I, that like, they didn't surf as good as the other guy, but the other guy surfed, but he sucked and he was undisciplined and was terrible with the family and took crap care of himself and well had all these other things. And it was like, okay, well, that's cool. I Great. I appreciate that that one thing that you are, but these other things. So, so I think it's that, you know, I think it's, I think it's, that's part of it. That's part of why I've done what I've done. And, and like I said, some of it's just out of necessity survived. Like I was laughing when you were talking, cause I was, you know, it's maybe it's different now, but for our generation, if you, whether you were going to be a creative, whether you're going to be an athlete, like even if you just wanted to like live in the mountains, so you could or live on the beach, so you could actually surf a lot or actually ski. Like you needed eleven jobs. Like you couldn't get by with one job, and you couldn't trust any source of income. And it like sort of forced that on it. But I think, and I, I'm just wondering if this is your experience as well. Where it starts to get interesting is after you've sort of learned. And mastery is such a funny word because I don't, I'm not using it to mean excellence, but I'm, I'm using it to mean like you've gotten to the plateau stage, right? To learn it, this deep part of the curve is passed and you're, you're sort of there and you're dicking around there. Often the best way to make progress there is getting another activity to that same level because you can't do it that way, but you can, it just feeds in. You're like, oh, wow, I, can, I learned how to move my body this way and I can use it, you know. Yeah, the crossover that helps, I think. So, well, you and I have since I think we've always had a parallel kind of understanding from the beginning. That's why we're having this conversation today again. Right. But, uh, but you know, I always we talk about you know being on that plateau and and you know having the twenty thousand, thirty thousand, forty thousand, however, just name the hours and go. Okay, that's how many we got. And another hour doing that isn't going to do anything like you being a little stronger, you being a little more flexible your cardio capacity improving, right? So now all of a sudden you take this new cardio capacity or you take this new strength or you take this new flexibility and you throw it over there in the 40,000 hours. Now you got yourself a whole new game. Now you got yourself an improvement and a, a real tangible like improvement that another hour, two, 10, whatever, 100, it's not gonna do anything over there like this new things. And you don't know a lot of the times how these other things will affect you part of my thing you know and and out of necessity like you said hey you know i got i got to survive i got a thing and you're not going to be able to just do one thing and 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 be able to to pull it off but part of it is my upbringing because i lived at the end of a road and there was no we didn't have anybody so it was like something broke you had to learn how to fix it and i grew up around guys that fixed stuff 
And so I was like, okay, well, that broke. And if we don't fix it, we don't get it. We don't have a guy that specializes in fixing that. Or you don't just go to the store and get another one. So I think I started kind of with that, you know, and then when you're growing up, you're like, hey, we're fishing. Now we're, now we're hunting. Now we're, you know, now we're farming. Now we're, you know, now we're fixing the thing that helps us farm. Now we're doing, you know, we're doing, now we're all rowing because we're fishing when we're rowing, but then we're swimming, but then we're hiking because we're, you know, because then we're, then we're carrying stuff because we're i mean it's like all those things that you do that's more natural i just seems like in a way our specialization in in my opinion has kind of reduced our flexibility like we're just not as flexible because we have all this specialization and i think that that's for me i think there's a limitation you know i, I we've gone so specialized that we've kind of lost some of this you know this this adaptation and flexibility that we have i think if you specialize it's hard to adapt you're not going to adapt well if you're specifically just into this one thing and they go, ha, huh, yeah, no, sorry, that's not working. You got to go over here now. And you're like, what? What do you mean? Like, you know, it's like that's going to throw you off if you're if you're too. I think that's very it's odd. I've had this conversation with a bunch of there's men who grew up in Gen X seem to like everybody I knew. We valued the idea of the Renaissance man like that was a thing. And like we used to talk about it. You had to have musical skills and you had to have physical skills and you had to have it like, and that seems to that, that set of values, whatever that was and whatever, I don't know what the hell created that in our generations. I didn't even think it was anything special. It was just everybody I knew. And suddenly I'm like, Oh wow, this was a generational thing because it wasn't there in millennials and it's not there in Gen Z. And I'm sure they have other, you know, there's other stuff there, but I didn't realize it was a special thing that didn't, I thought that was just how everybody was. Right. Yeah. Like, yeah, that's interesting. That, well, that's interesting that 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 and, and maybe it was, you know, I mean, who knows what the result maybe maybe that was the result of the innovations that happened. Maybe maybe a lot of what was innovated created that. I mean, I don't I'm not you know, who's to say what came first, whether the chicken or the egg kind of thing. But I, I always I mean, for us, the Renaissance, man, that was just the thing, like multidisciplined, multi-sported, like, oh, that's just automatic. And you know, okay, you're gonna go over there, get on the excavator. Okay, boom. Okay, no problem. You're gonna go over there, you're gonna weld. Oh yeah, weld. Okay, cool. You're gonna go thing, you're gonna just you're just gonna be able to do all these things. Well, it was also built, I mean, it was built into the concept of a water man, right? Like that was like a water man is like sure. you're you're not just a surfer, a fisherman, mm. or a diver, or for sure. Laird, I would love to, as one of our last questions here, just dig a little bit deeper into the the sort of Laird Hamilton habit stack. You mentioned ice. You referenced ice earlier on in the conversation. You mentioned swimming with a weight. I know breath work's a big part of what you guys do at XPT. So uh, I'm curious what what a week a week in the life of feel free to use last week as an example if it's useful looks like in terms of your you know your specific peak performance habits and, and practices. Lots of which are probably so automatic you don't even notice them at the moment. First of all, I'm I'm conscious uh, that it's seasonal. So, and I, I self-induce it, you know, a lot of, I mean, I tell people like, oh, there's a reason why the Olympics is every four years, right? There's a reason why, you know, you only have a championship once a year. There's a reason why we have off season, like, you know, organized sports and organizations stuff, uh, implement it by default because they know that the monotony of things, just the repetitiveness, and I'm terrible when it comes to that. So like right now, this time of year, summertime is the time to train. Like that's, this is a time to be in a real, in a real rhythm of training. Like when I, and I say that because, because I'm able to get in a real routine. So then I'm all of a sudden I'm in a routine 
And that, you know, that'll includes lifting weights, that includes circuit training, that includes pool work, that includes heat and ice, that includes cardio activities, you know, that, and then, and then that includes, you know, a foiling and paddling and, you know, stand up bike and whatever else that I got going. So I have activities and then I have training, but those are all kind of, this is the time of the year to kind of, you know, and I'll go and do an adventure. I'll do some sort of event, multiple, multiple adventures throughout the summertime. Wintertime comes, all of a sudden I'm focused on the ocean and, and I'm doing, and when I'm in Hawaii, I'm digging ditches and using pickaxes and, and I'm doing more labor kind of more ground labor type type stuff. I'm, I'm planting and weeding and, you know, working, doing farm stuff and, and running, running machinery and, and then focus on the ocean, right? I'm focused on the swells. I'm focused on wave, bigger wave riding with a more regularity because of the, the, the time of the year. It'd be like you're in the mountains, the snow's here. We're working, you know, we're in the snow, but that's kind of what the year looks like the year. And then there's a, the summer, builds up into the preceding the winter you kind of all your training and everything and you kind of come into the season ready to roll uh you know and and summer is a good a time of learning a time of kind of being exposed i'm in a different environment so there's a certain aspect of migration um that we do that we're migrating that we leave the winter and we are you back in california i'm in california right now i'm in malibu yeah for the summer and uh and easier to travel out of here so I can go to Peru or I can go to, I can go adventuring out of here easier than Hawaii, Hawaii summer, the surf down. Um, and, and I've been there for the winter. And so, but it's, there's a migratory aspect of it. There's a consistency in the training. So nothing gets too routine. I mean, there's certain things that are consistent that, you know, I like my coffee a certain way and, you know, I have some <laughs> stuff like that that I'll do, but I'll implement fasting and, and, you know, and some suffering uh, of other sorts, some endurance stuff. And there's no, you know, there's no blueprint. You know, I, I'm, because at the end, I'm always, nature is always kind of dictating having the last call. So even in, when I'm in California in a real consistent routine, if I see a, a giant south swell coming from New Zealand, I'm probably going to miss the, the circuit. You know, I'm probably going to miss the pool training. I'm going to miss the thing. Mm. I'm going to miss some of these things because I'm going to be like, okay, there it is. It, we don't get it all the time. Take advantage of it because it's going to be gone tomorrow. And, and when it's gone, it's gone. And you don't know when it's coming back again. So, you know, I'm always ready. I'm always in a state of readiness, pretty much ready for a fire, ready for a flood, ready for, you know, ready for ready, like living in a ready state, pretty much like guard up always like whatever's coming. You know, I might be less ready in some times than others, but I'm always ready. Like I'm, I'm, I live in a ready state. It's kind of, it gets, it's a little obnoxious. It gets exhausting because to be living in a ready state, like truly for real, it's means you, you have this energy that sometimes you don't disperse constructively. And so that, that's something that you, that I'm, you know, I'm learning every year how to become better at, better at that and see that. You know, and, and I mean, listen, when you, when you come off of a giant day or the high, high, high level fear and, and you, you got post, you know, you get post-traumatic. So you come back down and then you're, you know, you got to be aware of that. I mean, there's just, there's yeah, so Laird, there's I was a lot of pieces you, there. <laughs> I was going to ask you something about that. I know this is a random you're standing up now. Here we go. <laughs> no, no, it's just a random last question, but it's like I had a ski season this winter where I did. 
I just skied a lot of heavy lines, really a lot more heavy lines in, um, in, in kind of one year than I had in a while. And I realized that the hangover the day after the day, the, like it, there was a, like, there was the fear load, the confronting the fear. I'm used to like, okay, go out, do one thing that truly terrifies you in a day. But like when it's two or three and you're doing that more consistently, wow, that like the, the fear load has a physical toll on your body that was unexpected to me. I've been doing this for a long time, but I hadn't turned that crank up that high in a while. It just, this season happened to be one of those seasons. And I was shocked by that. I was like, oh my God, there's such physical consequences to confronting that much fear emotionally on a regular basis. Well, I mean, we, we you know, I became aware of it kind of fairly early on in my experience. I became aware of it because of, I just would act like, you know, I wasn't very nice. <laughs> and it was, and I was self-destructive as well. So the combination of my, you know, being self-destructive and not being very cool over time made me, made me really conscious of it. And, you know, I call it post-traumatic. I mean, it's for, it's a real thing. Um, the more intense the situation is, the, the and the less kind of acknowledgement of it, the more you get hammered by it. As you become aware of it, you're like, okay, well, I'm going to go in, I'm going down right now. I'm going to, my plane's going to start descending and I'm going to pull back on the stick and keep it from burrowing in. And so you start becoming kind of better at that. I think over time you get really a, a handle on it. Like you're like, oh yeah, this is real and it's going to happen. And I even tell like, I'll, I'll have a conversation again with some, you know, somebody else who just doesn't have the volume and, of experience. And I'll be like, Hey, you're going to burrow in. And they're like, oh, yeah, no, no, no. And then I see him like a little while later. Like, how's that? How's that going? He's like, oh, wow, I'm burning in. And it can be extended. Like if it's intense enough, it could be it could be weeks. You know, it could be it could be a week. It could be two weeks. It could be longer, depending on and it could for some people, if it's traumatic enough and extended enough over a longer period, long enough period of time, it could, could be a state that you that you get into that you don't come out of. So and I think that that's you know, I think that's real. I think, I mean, I know it's real. I mean, we know it's real. We have the science, we know the stuff. And so being conscious of it and, and, and really combating that and really kind of working on nurturing the system, like, Hey, I'm going, I'm burrowing down. Ah, you know what? Don't train today. Cool. Take it easy. You know, eat some really good food, maybe get worked on, get to bed early, do that for a while, see how you're feeling slowly work yourself. Don't be in denial of it. You know, like, don't think, Oh yeah, a couple, you know, bottles of wine are going to make it go away. I mean, so I think people mask it. I think they suppress it. I think they do all these different things they can to try to avoid it. I think if you acknowledge it and you embrace it and then you learn how to deal with it, I think it has a lot less impact. I know it does because I've spent some years working on being aware of it. And then like knowing it's coming is half the battle. That's half the thing. This, is is and I, I always say that you know understanding the problem is half the solution so let's understand what it is and then go yeah it's real it's going to happen what are you going to do about it and then and then nurture the system but that that's a real thing that we've dealt with and uh and it's and it's something that that when you're in that such a heightened state the taxation on the system just think about it it's like you crank everything up to full max your vision's the best, your speed of your thoughts and reactions, your everything's this heightened. The demand of that on the system is like, you might take a couple weeks before you got, you know, you got, and, and this is, this is stuff that you're good at and you're not, and you have some sort of understanding of, and it's doing that. So imagine right. if, you know, 
right? Imagine if you're getting yeah. shot at. So, well, Larry, thanks a million. This has been phenomenal. It's like I'm talking to a a walking, talking flow safe uh, when interacting with you. So, <laughs> thank I you say for that until my. I say that I think that, and then my 13 year old gets a hold of me, and she just lacerates me. So I, I'm I'm still early early stage. It's all early stage. <laughs> well, listen, thanks for your time, Buzz. Appreciate it a ton. Any, any final any final things you want to mention in terms of uh, what, what you're up to, or right? anywhere you want to direct our our people as far as websites, uh, initiatives? Yeah, no, I mean I, I th- you know listen. I, I'm first of all. Our, our company Laird Superfood is, is, you know, we believe better foods, better you. And so again, it's all what we've been talking about, you know, yeah, people, if you haven't checked out Superfood, I love like three or four of your hydration fluids. I'm really a yeah. huge fan of yeah. among other things, but the, I, I'm really, a, I'm a big fan of the hydration fluids. I think one of our challenges is in general is, is just nurturing the system. And so that's one of the ways that we're, we're, we're doing that, you know, we're working on nurturing the system and, and, and having the nutrients we need and having the hydration we need and having all that stuff, I think is, is so, such an important part of, of, of people being whole. It's like sleep, you know, I mean, I, I think that that's, uh, I think, you know, getting, getting sleeping well is, is, I can't emphasize that enough. I mean, I'm I, at my house, everybody just, is like, I'm like, I'm brutal because I'm the sleep guy. I'll be right in the middle of the dinner. I'm like, good night. And the people look at Gabby like, are we supposed to leave now? I'm like, she's like, no, no, he's just going to bed. Don't worry about him. By the way, <laughs> you, know, you and me both. Yeah. You and me both. Sorry, I'm going to bed. Good night. And then you just walk up and leave. And you're like, well, dinner just finished a half a second ago. And they're going to talk for two more hours. And I'm like, yeah, there's no way. There's there's no way that I'm going to, you know, I'm going to. But, but you know, I, I think I think it starts with all of us. I think I think at the end of the day, you know, uh, you sh- it starts with each of us. I think that, that you know, if we want the world to be a better place and we want to make a difference, we have to start with ourselves. I think we have to start at our own, in our consciousness and change the way we think and the way we are and to make the world a better place. And so I just, if, you know, if that's a way to end and, and you know what, and find your thing that you love, find the thing that brings you, as long as you're not hurting anybody, find the thing that really brings you brings you fulfillment because I think that there a lot of people just don't know how to get happy and or have fun. Mm. And I think we need to learn how to do that. Like we got to find the thing that is fun for you that makes you happy. It's not destructive, not go party and, you know, get drunk. I'm not, that's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about constructive things that are healthy, that make you feel good and make you feel fulfilled and, and bring you, you know, you know, I think that's everybody's job. I think your everybody should, their job is to go out and find the thing that brings them of contentment and happiness and then then we and and eat good and sleep well and train hard and you know be a good person and here's our new planet (laughs) (laughs) thanks a ton that was epic appreciate it brother thank you if what you've heard on flow research collective radio has been helpful Please consider doing us a solid and leaving us a review on Apple, Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you are listening to this. Reviews help us connect to a wider audience so we can get these peak performance principles out to more people.